Have you ever watched a movie and you couldn't wait until the end when the bad guy finally gets what's coming to him? Today, we're going to talk about our sense of justice and God's sense of justice and how they're so much different. I'm Vic. And I'm Sam. And this is the Shoe Leather Podcast. Well, greetings, everyone. And today, we're going to be talking about God and his justice. And uh, we, it's the way that God, his justice and his mercy are very closely linked. So we kind of talked about mercy last time, and we're going to be talking about both again today. Um, but to, to start off, I think it'd be interesting to touch on that verse. There's a verse in Isaiah that we're familiar with, Isaiah 55, and it talks about God saying, you know, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. It talks about how heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways. But to really capture the power of that passage, the context really gives us some power. So talking about the verse before, it gives us a little bit more context into what God is saying. So this is verses 7 and 8, and it says this, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. So as we get into it straight away, just just being reminded, you know, God's ways are so much higher than our ways. But here he's talking about how his, his justice and his mercy are so much higher than us, but how he, he desires that the wicked would forsake his way and return to the Lord so that he can have mercy upon him because he will abundantly pardon it's like we mentioned in books or movies, we love to see the bad guy get it at the end, right? Doesn't that just feel good to see him, like, you know, get what's coming to him? And the the more evil he is, the happier we are when he finally gets it. He finally, you know, gets it at the end. Uh, and it gives us pleasure to see the good win the day and then the evil get destroyed. And God loves justice too. He, he loves it infinitely more than we do. But the difference is that God would much rather have the bad guy become the good guy than to have the bad guy destroyed for his crimes. Think about that. that that's not like me, okay? I have a sick sense of pleasure seeing the, guy, you know, the bad guy die at the end or if I'm reading a book, you know, hearing him die at the end and you know, come to nothing. That makes me happy, honestly. But God would much rather see him change. So again, going back to that passage, God is not like us. We have this twisted sense of justice. His justice is perfect. His ways are so much higher than our ways. And somehow it's easy to think of, wow, I'm so glad God's ways are better than my ways when it's coming to like plans for the future or things like that. But then you think God's ways are higher than my ways in that he doesn't want people to get it the same way that I want them to get it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and God is not the heartless ogre. I think that we, we try and sometimes we think of him as it's not him there is a an enemy there is a a, a a villain in the story but it's not god it's actually us we are the heartless ogres we are the ones who secretly we think that we can do a better god a better job as god than god we think i think personally you know i would never say this out loud but i think you know god you're doing it wrong you know, that that wasn't just. Like what you allowed there, that wasn't just. 
if I were God, I could do a better job. And it's very clear, I ha- I have issues when when somebody is, you know, doing something wrong. I want to pound them so hard. God wants to offer them mercy. It's totally different. So we have to be so careful with our justice system. God gave us a justice system, but it's very easy for it because it's, we're sinful. It's very easy for it to get skewed to the wrong side. This is, this is what God is like. And we, we hit a verse similar to this, but I'm not reading the same verse. This is from Ezekiel 33, 11. Very similar to what we've read before. And it says this, Say unto them, the children of Israel, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? So right there he says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Think about that. God has pleasure watching the wicked turn from their evil way. Do I? I still want him to get it. You know, I still secretly think he should pay for it. And, you know, God's ways, he will not be mocked. You know, what we do, we will have to pay for it in some way or it has to be paid for it in some way. But God would much rather, he has pleasure in seeing the wicked turn than seeing the wicked die and seeing the wicked destroyed. And that's not like me, you know, that's, that's different, but we have to remember God is so much better and so much more. There's, like we said, there's no superlative. We can't compare him with anything. You, you can't compare God and say, well, God is like this. He really isn't. I mean, that can try and help us paint a, a better picture, but really there's nothing we can do to compare him. And, and God, we think of, you know, we'll talk more about God and his justice and his anger, but we think, um, you know, we think God gets angry and we'd be right in thinking that that's correct. It's not that he's not a God of, um, he's a God of love, but also he does get angry and, uh, it's easy for us to think of him as an angry God, but God's anger is perfectly righteous. It's, it's measured and it's completely justified. And here are a few passages where he, he's, showing us more of who he is and how he likes to operate. So this is in Isaiah 54, 7 and, er, 7 and 8, and it says this, For a small moment have I forsaken you, but with great mercies will I gather you. In a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on you, saith the Lord, your Redeemer. And then down to verse 10, for the mountain shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you. Neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord that has mercy on you. So here he's saying, for a small, for a little wrath, in a little wrath, I hid my face for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, I'll have mercy on you. The mountain shall depart, the hills be removed, my kindness will not depart from you. He's saying, a little bit of time, a small moment, I'll have wrath. That moment, the idea of a blink of an eye. Okay, that blink of an eye, that's his justice, his wrath, his anger towards towards sin. But with everlasting kindness, age to age, everlasting to everlasting, that is his mercy. So does he get angry? Yes, and he should. He has every right to. But also, his mercy is everlasting, and his mercy supports us, even in our sin, even in our, our depravity. His mercy holds us up so that we can turn from our ways. He gives us that space to return. And here's another part of of how he deals with us and how he 
shows his justice and anger. In Lamentations 3, 31 through 33, it says this, For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he doth not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. All right, so hear this. But though he cause grief, which he does, he does not willingly grieve the children of men. Another version says, he does not afflict from his heart. So we already know that his anger is, is just a flash in comparison to his everlasting mercy. But now that we see, he doesn't actually willingly cause pain. He doesn't want to cause pain. He doesn't want to afflict the children of men. He doesn't willingly grieve us. So the question is, okay, if he doesn't willingly grieve us, then why does he grieve us? Like, if he doesn't willingly cause pain, why does he cause us pain? And the answer is, it's because of us. It's because we need it. It's our problem. If, he di if we didn't need it, he wouldn't do it. That's another aspect of his perfect justice. If we didn't need the pain, he wouldn't give us that pain. He would not, he would not punish us that way or he would not discipline us that way if we didn't need it. Okay, so there's a framework. <clears throat> this has been very helpful. All throughout the Bible, uh, if you notice the way, especially you'll see this a lot in um, Judges, in First and Second Kings, where the, the children of Israel go through these cycles. And if you can realize this cycle, you realize it still applies today. We go through this cycle. And many accounts, all the different accounts in in the Bible, if you look, you will find parts of this cycle. And once you realize kind of the full circle, you can realize, okay, there are parts that maybe I'm not seeing in this point in history, you know, reading this part. Maybe the rest of it's going to happen later or, the, you know, it hasn't happened yet or we're just starting or whatever else. But once you see this, it's going to really help. It's a nice framework to be able to mm -hmm. hang a lot mm -hmm. of these accounts on. So we'll start here. First, we'll have uh, the request, God's request. He calls the sinful party, his people, to turn from their evil ways. That's, the, that's kind of the first thing we'll start with is the request. Second is the rebuke. God then condemns their sin and then warns of punishment and then begins to administer punishment. So God does th both of those things. This is where the people come in, the return. This is where the sinful party acknowledges their sin and repents. And then the last part is the resolve. This is where God steps in and he offers hope, the hope of a new and better future. So those things, you know, God speaks, he warns them, he then begins to punish them. They begin then to have the chance if they want to repent and return. And then he then resolves the situation uh, and he gives them hope of a future. He doesn't always give them that future immediately, but he gives them the hope of that future. Now, the thing that starts this whole circle is rebellion. It's the people refusing to live the way that God wants them to live. That's actually what starts this whole thing. So at the end, the takeaway is humans always start it. Humans are the problem. Humans are the ones who get God's wrath stirring, okay? God, he, he his anger is towards the sin of mankind. He doesn't just say, man, I'm so mad, I'm going to take it out on somebody. He does not do that. He doesn't fly off the handle. His anger is focused. It's purposeful. It's 100% justified because we always start it. If you look in the Bible, 
You will never see God just get angry for no reason. There is always a reason. When he says, my wrath is kindled, I am, I am hot towards this. You, you look back, you will always find a reason. And the reason is always man and his sin. Always. So we have this cycle. First is our rebellion. We reject God's instructions. Then he's, he warns us. And then when we do not listen to that warning, he then begins to discipline us and he comes after that sin. He punishes us in that sin. The longer we wait, the more punishment we receive until we then realize our ways, we acknowledge, we turn around, we repent, come back to him. And then he is then able to open up his blessings again and, and promise us and give us the hope of a better future. So the whole point is, the whole framework, this whole circle starts with our rebellion and it can end at any time with our repentance. It's all up to us. It's all up to the people, the sinful people. It's our choice. It's our choice to even start on that way. If we just stuck with God the whole time, this never would have happened. You know, the children of Israel, if they had ceased from following their own ways and just followed after God's design, they would not have to have experienced years of bondage under different kings and 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 wars and all these different things because they would have been following after God and he would have given them victory and blessed them. So now that we have this kind of framework, if you think about it, as you go through, uh, you'll see it. It's so it's so clear now when you go and you read through Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, part kind of these these times towards the end of the kingdom when God's starting to carry them away to Babylon and different places. You start seeing, oh, when God says, you know, I'll pour out my anger. And when you don't repent, I will pour it out seven times more. If you don't, I will pour it out seven times more. And you're like, whoa, God, like calm down. But he's trying to get them to turn around. And it's not his fault that they're so stubborn. If they had turned around the first thing, do you think he would have kept punishing them? No. He's trying to get them to come back because that's the best place for them. And so when you when you start putting those pieces together, you start realizing, ah, when they're in captivity, they start repenting, he promises them a future. That's the end of the cycle. So now when you start looking at these different these different accounts, you can start piecing together, okay, where are they in this? Um, they've, they've rebelled. God is warning them. Okay, so what's coming next? If they don't repent, he's going to then begin to punish them. As we, start, we can start mm-hmm. seeing this happen. And it really helps to kind of put some meat on the bones because sometimes, you know, you read Isaiah, what's going on? I don't know. Jeremiah, I don't get it. Sometimes it's kind of boring. But when you start see, you realize that there is a pattern here, then you start realizing, oh, okay, I get it. Now I see where they are. Now I see where they need to go. So here's an example. Here's a, a good passage. <clears throat> this is in Genesis chapter six. This is the in the days of Noah, God realized that, uh, you know, he created the world. And then it said in the verse before, man's thoughts were evil continually. So we'll pick up in verse five and then we'll go through. So it it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And then down to verse 11. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So one thing to point out towards the beginning, it says 
It repented God that he'd made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. Think about that. Think about the God of all creation being grieved to his heart. We don't want to read into the passage something that isn't there, but we know that the heart is sort of the core of of something or someone. So for God to be grieved to his very core, Mm -hmm. I don't even think we can imagine that. I don't think we can even have a really good a really good picture of that because if God is infinitely more than us, we can't even compare, then my thought is it would stand to reason that his his emotions could be infinitely more than ours as well, which means he could be infinitely more happy, infinitely more sad, infinitely more angry, infinitely more loving. So to be grieved at his heart, I don't even know what that means, but I think that's something we can stop and think about because that is, that is, um, that is profound, I think, and that is very... Uh, it's heavy. It's 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 a lot, and I don't even. I think we can read, read past that very quickly, uh, without stopping to to really grasp the significance. How can an ultimate God, the God of everything, the God of all power, be grieved to His heart? I think that's just interesting. We get to know a little bit more about Him. Anyway, but then He says to Noah, "The end of all flesh is come before Me." Now I think that's interesting. The way He says that. The end of all flesh is come before me. So what he's saying, he's not saying I am the end of all flesh. He's not saying I will destroy all flesh. He does say that later on. But he's telling Noah, I see the end of all flesh. The end of all flesh has come before me. It's this idea of him being able to look down through history before it's happened into the future and and see the debauchery, the murder, the greed, the the disease, all the consequences of wickedness in man's heart, and he can actually see where they murder each other down, 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 down until the extinction of civilization. And it must not have been too far in the future. And he decided that's not my, that's not what I wanted for my creation. I want to give my creation another chance. I am going to to change this. I'm going to stop this. So to give, I, I, to give my creation another chance, I don't want it this way. This is not my plan. And so like, like a surgeon performing emergency surgery, he cut away those things which were putrid and vile to give what was beautiful and what was still salvageable a chance to thrive and a chance to live. And so then he tells Noah, go build the ark, and then he ends up destroying the world okay but he really if you think about it he didn't destroy it as so much as he saved it he actually saved it now we might think okay that's a terrible way to save the world you know i might have tried something different that seems everybody like, died except for noah's family yeah that's not necessarily like the best way to do that um but also something else we might think you know that was horrible but what else is actually horrible is having the son of god himself stripped naked hammered to a tree gushing blood unrecognizable, being spit on and hated for being nothing but good, dying for sins he did not commit. That's horrible. Those guys, those wicked men in in Noah's day, they got exactly what they deserved. Okay, 100%. God, Jesus, he never did. He never, he didn't die for his own faults. And that is just the price. Him dying like that, that was just the price that it cost to give us the option to be free from sin, mm-hmm. just to give us that option, just to open that door for us. Now we still have to choose if we want to enter 
and accept that free gift. But that was just the price to open that option to us. And the reminder is, the cure for sin comes at a horrible cost always. It will always cost horribly. God's not horrible. Sin is horrible. The cost is unimaginably high. But the crazy thing is God paid it. God himself paid it. He didn't want he didn't want these wicked people to die. He would much rather they would turn, but they would not turn. And they were going to destroy his earth and corrupt it down to nothing. And so he chose to to destroy most of it to save it. It's the idea of you know when it comes to cancer or something like that. We understand this concept intuitively. We understand, you know, if we have ever if you've ever had someone you know struggle through cancer, um, they'll go and they will go to uh, treatment, they'll have surgery or they'll have chemotherapy. And what the doctors are doing is they're basically getting them, you know, killing as many as of the cells as possible to destroy and wipe out what's bad, to give what's good a chance to, to live again. And and in the same way, God, he, he destroyed what was evil for, you know, about a year-ish in order to give us literally thousands of years into the future. We sitting here are now beneficiaries of that point in time where God destroyed the evil on the earth to give the good a chance to thrive again. And so like that that doctor killing down the cancer to give the body a chance to live longer. And then the people who, who recover from cancer, they are grateful for that pain. They thank the doctor for that. And we consider that a modern day miracle, a medical miracle. And yet we will turn around and call God a twisted monster for employing the exact same strategy. Okay, that doesn't make sense. That's weird. And maybe we think he should be able to do it some other way. I don't know. But but we're looking at things wrong. We have to be consistent in, in what we do. And I think we get angry for God, like at God for allowing horrible things to happen on the earth. But yet then we get angry at him and call him heartless for removing the things that cause those horrible things, which happen to be horrible people, sinful people. And so I think we have to be careful. We can't just shake our fists at God and say, what are you doing? Like, you can't do this. He is perfectly just. He is wholly just all the way. We are not wholly just all the way. We think we are. We'd like to believe we are, but we're not. We're not just like he is. We're not perfectly holy and merciful and just at the same time. And so we cannot, we cannot question him like that. We can't just assume that our way must have been better and he, if he had only listened to us, then we could have saved the world. We could have done something about ourselves. And I think this comes back to the verse that we started with as far as like this is just an example of how his ways are mm. so much higher than our ways. They're so much different and they're so much better. Yes. I think his natural disposition, if you, if you read through, especially even the Old Testament, with an open mind, you realize his natural disposition is one of compassion and of mercy. But then his anger does flash up to accomplish his justice. But then his mercy remains forever. So does he get angry? Yes, and he should. In fact, it would be wrong for him not to get angry at evil and wickedness because that causes pain and death. So he wants, he wants what is good and holy and right and pure for his sake and for our sake because he knows it's good for him and it's good for us. And so, yes, he has a right. He has every right to be angry at sin and to deal with it in perfect justice. But then the crazy thing is, again, he also gives us mercy. 
Okay, one thing we seem to forget, we have to keep remembering, bringing it to mind, especially when we see, you know, we have friends with cancer and and accidents and and death and it's just it's horrible and we don't like it. We 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 look to him and say, "Why? Why would you do this?" Something we have to realize is whatever judgment, you know, some of these things are not judgment. They are just the result of a fallen world. But when God punishes, when God gives justice and judgment, whatever judgment he passes on to his sinners, he himself already took through Christ. So in other words, he's not dishing things out that he himself would not take. Mm. He chose to take the punishment for everyone if they're willing to give it to him. He is willing. He took all of it. And so when when we say, well, God is unjust, no, he is, he is unrealistically just. And in fact, He's almost too just. He is so just. He he put all those things on himself to give us the chance to get out from under our own sins that we deserve. So again, it's that perfect that perfect balance of he is all justice and he is perfect justice, but then he is all and perfect mercy. And I think we as humans can't do that. We can't understand that. Um, but he can and he does. And that's who he is. So... This is a big topic. We're going to kind of stop right here on that on that thought. We'll touch base and, and keep going with some of the big issues in the Old Testament um, next time, but we didn't want to cheat out and uh, and not give a, a full look at, at these ideas. So um, thank you so much for joining us, guys, and we appreciate it. We just remind you, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, learn about God's justice, whatever it is, do all to the glory of God. We'll see you back here next time.